Welcome back, everybody, to Parkside Green's Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve here, excited to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 to 36. Uh, I don't know about you, but the first time I read these verses, I had a hard time understanding kind of how they all held together. But I remembered that way back in chapter 1, verse 3, Luke told us that he had put together an orderly account for his readers. So I searched for what made this section of scripture orderly. And I think it's the theme of spiritual discernment, spiritual discernment, which is the ability to distinguish truth from error. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 21 and 22 tells us to test everything and, and to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every form of evil. So if we have spiritual discernment, we'll be able to tell the difference between what's good, hold fast to that, and what's evil, abstain from that. Similarly, Hebrews 5.14 tells us that mature followers of Jesus have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that theme of spiritual discernment runs through every section of this week's passage. So we'll study that topic of spiritual discernment under four headings. Number one, evil spirits, verses 14 to 26. Secondly, true blessing, verses 27 and 28. Thirdly, evil generation, verses 29 to 32. And fourth and finally, I light in verses 33 to 36. So we begin with a look at evil spirits in Luke 11, verses 14 to 26. Uh, Jesus was casting out a demon, as he often has done already in the Gospel of Luke. He's casting out a demon that caused muteness. Right? Somehow, when, when this particular demon was in a man, it, it kept him from speaking. And when the demon had gone out at Jesus' command, the man who had been mute spoke, causing the onlooking people to marvel. Yeah, all of a sudden this mute guy is talking. It was clear to everyone that Jesus had cast out an evil spirit. But some of the people there said that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. They, they couldn't deny that a formerly mute man was now speaking, but because they did not think that God was working through Jesus, they attributed his power of exorcism to Beelzebul, who, which we see in verse 18 is another name for Satan. Many people think, don't they, that, oh, I'd believe in Jesus if I, I just saw his miracles. But this passage shows us that miracles do not always evoke faith in Jesus. Jesus points out how his opponents lacked spiritual discernment, right? If Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons, then Satan's kingdom would be divided against itself and it would be laid waste. That would be like civil war. A divided household can't hold together. It's going to fall. So why would Satan empower Jesus to fight against Satan's demons? Jesus shows the idea that he was working by Satan's power to undermine Satan's own work is just absurd. If Satan's divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And furthermore, the accusation that Jesus was a, a dark sorcerer working by the, the power of Beelzebul 
it was unprovable. It, it could just as easily have been leveled at the, the sons or the followers of Jesus' opponents. Why should only Jesus' exorcism be attributed to Beelzebul? So if the onlookers here wanted to be spiritually discerning, they needed to consider it was by the finger of God, echoing Exodus 8.19, that Jesus cast out demons. And that indicates that the kingdom of God had come upon these people. Right? With Jesus, the king, right there, God's kingdom had come upon Jesus' hearers and his onlookers. Instead of the prince of demons working against himself by casting out demons, it doesn't make sense, wouldn't it make a lot more sense that Jesus was the stronger one who was plundering Satan's kingdom and, and overcoming Satan by releasing people from demonic oppression and possession? Jesus was ministering, we see, by the power of God. And those who said that Jesus was acting by the power of Satan were not for Jesus, they were against him. Those who were not pro-Jesus, gathering God's flock with him, were anti-Jesus, actually scattering. It's just not possible to be neutral regarding Jesus. Either he is working by the power of Satan or by the finger of God. And in the end, people are either with Jesus or they're against Jesus. In fact, it's not even enough for a person to have an unclean spirit cast out of them, right? If there's still a spiritual vacuum there, then there is still spiritual danger. Because after roaming through waterless, deserted places thought to be inhabited by demons, that unclean spirit might return to its former host and dwell in him or her again. If nothing else, like the, the Holy Spirit was dwelling there now. So eliminating the bad is really just a, a step, a first step. The void must be filled because, Jesus says, if seven other spirits that are even more evil are brought along too, it's going to leave that person worse off than they were before. In the parallel passage in Matthew 12, 45, Jesus concludes the illustration by saying, so also will it be with this evil generation. That is, those in Jesus's generation who reject him, even after seeing his God-given authority over demons, they're going to be in a worse place spiritually than if they had never seen Jesus in person. Hebrews 10 gives a similar warning to those who have spurned the Son of God and go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, saying that for such people there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. When we are exposed to Jesus and his kingdom, we need spiritual discernment to respond rightly. And that brings us to our second section on true blessing in verses 27 and 28. As Jesus was saying these things about evil spirits, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. 
Right? Your mother who, who birthed you and raised you is blessed to have such a son. But Jesus shared an additional perspective. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. If you have spiritual discernment, you will see that those who are truly blessed are not so much Jesus's physical family as his spiritual family, those marked by hearing the word of God and keeping it, just as he had said earlier in chapter 8, verse 21. Now, it was commonly believed that women were blessed by being mothers of great sons, which is true. But Jesus promises blessing to all women, all women who hear and obey God's word. In fact, all people. It's not that our, our families don't matter, but that hearing and keeping God's word is the highest priority. For us to grasp where true blessing is found requires spiritual discernment. And we'll see the same thing in our third section on an evil generation in verses 29 to 32. Now, we know from back in verse 16 that there were some who, to test Jesus, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Seeing Jesus cast out a demon, allowing a formerly mute man to speak, that wasn't enough for them, right? More signs, bigger signs, which is exactly what Jesus would have done if, if, he were trying to win a popularity contest, give the people what they want. But instead, when the crowds were actually increasing, Jesus spoke a hard word to those who might be there just for the show. Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, we know from the parallel passage in Matthew 12:40 that just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days, so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth for three days. Part of Friday, all day Saturday, part of Sunday. Jonah's rescue from death after three days in the big fish, was a sign for the Ninevites of his generation. Just as Jesus' resurrection from death after three days in the tomb would be a sign to the people of his generation. But the problem with Jesus' generation, as with nearly all generations, is that they're evil and refuse to trust in Jesus. Notice that they were not just ignorant or misled, but Jesus calls them an evil generation. By way of contrast, consider how the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, took a long journey of a thousand plus miles just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And, and Solomon's wisdom took her breath away, it says. She praised the Lord because of it. Check it out in 1 Kings 10. But Jesus was much greater than Solomon. <laughs> Colossians 2.3 says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Yet, most people then and now reject Jesus, which is why that Gentile queen of the south will rise up at the judgment to condemn the unbelievers of Jesus' generation. 
To further reinforce the point, Jesus recalls how the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. When Jonah told them about 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, they believed God. They, they repented in sackcloth and ashes, all the way from the king and the greatest of them, all the way down to the least of them. Just on the chance, just at the hope that God might turn from his fierce anger and spare them. But Jesus was much greater than Jonah. Yet most of the people of his generation were not repenting in response to Jesus' preaching, which is why Gentile repenters from the 8th century BC could rise up at the judgment to condemn non-repenters of Jesus' generation. The Queen of the South and the people of Nineveh needed spiritual discernment to respond to the wisdom of Solomon and the preaching of Jonah. Similarly, the people of Jesus' generation and all of us today need spiritual discernment to respond rightly to the person and the teaching, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Brings us to our final section on I light in verses 33 to 36. Echoing something that he said earlier in chapter 8, verse 16, Jesus observes that after a person lights a lamp, they don't put it down in a cellar or, or under a basket. <laughs> if they did that, they'd just be wasting precious oil of the lamp. Instead, people put a, a lit light up on a stand so that those who enter the dwelling can see the light. Right? The purpose of a lamp is to help people to see, to, to give off light. Then Jesus draws out the lesson that a person's eye serves as a sort of a lamp of a person's body. The eye is the starting point for so much that happens within us. It's the opening through which either light or darkness fills us. When we look at things with spiritual discernment, with healthy eyes, then our whole body is full of light. But when we look at things the wrong way, then we're full of darkness. You think of those who saw Jesus' ministry and attributed it to Satan, or those who refused to repent when Jesus preached. Now, if your spiritual sight is healthy, you don't need a spectacular sign from heaven. Jesus is the light. The question is whether we receive the light or reject it? Do we view Jesus with spiritual discernment? Jesus also motivates us positively. You see in verse 36, if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And it starts with our eyes. When we see things with spiritual discernment, the way God sees them, then light permeates our whole selves so that we're full of light, ha having no part dark. And when we're full of the light of Christ, we shine brightly for him. Paul seemed to have something like this in mind when he tells us in Ephesians 5, 8 to 10, to walk as children of light. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And, he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We need spiritual discernment to know 
what is pleasing to God so that we can recognize and approve of and pursue and participate in what is in the light, what is good and right and true, and so that we don't approve of and pursue and participate in what is evil and false and dark. With God-given, Christ-centered, spirit-led, biblically-informed spiritual discernment, we are able to distinguish what is of God and what is of Satan or Beelzebul. We know that we're truly blessed when we hear the word of God and we keep it. And we don't insist on signs. Instead, we follow the wisdom of one greater than Solomon and we heed the preaching of one way greater than Jonah. When our eyes are healthy, we see as God sees and we shine brightly for the Lord. On the other hand, when we don't discern things rightly, when we have bad eyes that let in darkness, maybe even fill us with darkness, then we're called to turn in repentance and put our trust in Jesus, who is the light. Right? In him is no darkness at all, it says. As Jesus says in, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we pray for God to give us the sort of spiritual discernment that Simeon had way back in, in Luke 2.32 when he took the little child Jesus into his arms and he blessed God, declaring that Jesus was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As we bring things to a close here, let's consider four possible ways to apply this portion of God's word to our lives day in and day out. There are additional ways, but think with me about these four. Number one, praise Jesus as the stronger one who defeats evil and establishes God's kingdom. Jesus is victorious. We praise him as the strong man plundering Satan's kingdom and establishing God's kingdom. Secondly, thank God. Thank God for many blessings that come from hearing and keeping his word. He leads us into his truth, and we thank God for that. Thirdly, share the gospel. Share the gospel with those around you. Right? There, there's a final judgment coming. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat someday. And right now, we have a message of salvation to share with those around us. Fourthly and finally, purposefully look at things in a spiritually healthy way that fills you with light. Be careful to look at all things through the, the right lenses so that we're not full of darkness, but full of light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inspiring your word, for preserving your word, for illuminating your word to us. We acknowledge that we're a people in need of spiritual discernment. We need you to open our eyes so that we can see ourselves rightly as sinners and see Jesus rightly as our Savior. Please continue to give us the gifts of repentance and faith to turn us away from sin, to trust in your Son, the Messiah Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen.